Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast once more. We're here with part two of the Ollie Frazier trilogy, which means we're talking about the Thrilla in Manila. So if you listen to or watched part one, you're going to be totally clued in as to why we're kind of just abruptly picking up in the middle of a conversation or seemingly so on this podcast episode. But if you didn't, that's precisely why and now you know. So thanks so much for being here. Without any further ado, my buddy Bryn Jonathan Butler, of course, author and filmmaker, and I. Which brings us to the Thrilla in Manila. Man, you know, by this point, Muhammad Ali has really cornered the market in the, you know, fighting on behalf of murderous dictators. <laughs> yeah, don't focus on the negative, seems to be Ali's philosophy. <laughs> Mobutu and and, and I mean uh, that's that's a complicated thing unto itself. So we won't get into it, but nonetheless, it has to be mentioned. Yeah, I mean, if you, you got some issues, um, boxing can kind of clean them up a little bit in terms of uh, placating the people, uh, or at least making them not look so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, I wish there was something presently going on that would be similar that we might compare it to but uh Mm. but there's just not nothing 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 so yeah here we are in october 1st 1975 fly over to the philippines ali is now 224 and a half going into this fight Uh, you know he's getting older and frazier is 215 so both the guys you know gaining a little weight they've been through a fair bit in this period of, of their careers. And um, I mean, this is, this is a fight that's watched by over a billion people. One in four people on earth, they estimate, were watching this fight. That's, that's um, where Ali was as a cultural figure. I don't think it's any kind of exaggeration to think this was the most recognizable face on earth at this time which is kind of kind of amazing. I, I was reading the other day that McDonald's, the golden arches are more identifiable than the cross on earth. It's the most identifiable symbol. I, um, I, I would believe it. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. And just to, well, to kind of branch off of that, I was thinking about this the other day, just because I, you know, smoke a lot of weed and think crazy things. But <laughs> basically I was thinking, you know, Muhammad Ali probably shook more fucking hands on the face of the planet than every, any person who ever lived like, or, you know, shake hands, whatever met talked with whatever you want to say. I mean, what an absolutely ubiquitous figure and instantly recognizable. Yeah. Amazing. Really. 
Yeah, I remember Jack Nicholson said something similar to what you're saying. He said, like, in the course of a year, your average sort of major celebrity is meeting more people than the average person will meet in a lifetime. And that's something that for somebody who's introverted is quite a challenge of, uh, like, like Brad Pitt, I've read, has this disorder. I can't pronounce the word. I don't remember it. But it's the inability to register faces. He has like a, like a cognitive inability to retain who belongs to what face. So he says he's been perceived as being rude in a lot of engagements with even some people he's met a number of times. But I mean, it it is kind of a, a horrifying thing, I think, for a lot of us, as much as you as a kid want, dream to be famous. I think now the number one job that children are are fantasizing about having is being an influencer it's like over 50 percent of people want to do that but the moment you hear about these influencers succeeding at it it sounds like a nightmare to have that many people scrutinizing you and everything constantly Um, worrying about what you're tweeting instagram like everything fuck yeah and yet with ali i can't think of somebody who seems to be enjoying the ride of it more like I, I, you know, Jack Nicholson's another one where it's just like maybe the most beloved figure for a while of just like he'd be fun to hang out with. Like I remember comedians used to say the ultimate form of justice is going out on stage because you get a grace period based on how beloved you are. But they're like even Jack Nicholson gets 30 seconds and then do something funny or get the fuck off the stage. And then they were talking about like how famous you are, beloved, is the grace period before you actually have to do something entertaining. And I mean, even with Ali, you have to think like the most beloved person on earth at that point, probably. I mean, I, I understand he's controversial too, and a lot of people hated him. But sure, sure. Not nonetheless, um, people had a an emotional investment in him, probably more than any other figure on earth at least in terms of leisure activities, if, if we're going to call boxing that. So uh, Ali cleverly in this fight negotiated that he'd have a 21 by 21 foot ring. So he's got, uh, it's a huge ring for him to run around in. Not that he's going to do a lot of running around, but like that is a, is a big determining factor. The other big one is that he wanted eight ounce gloves for this fight. So those are two little things that were negotiated that, you know, maybe animated or mitigated where this fight kind of went to to some degree. And um, the other thing that's, I think, really important for us to remember if you watch this fight is it's 10 a.m. in Manila. It uh, Many of the accounts I read described it as being 120 degrees with the lights. And essentially, the atmosphere felt like boiling water wherever you are, like the steam coming off of boiling water. So keep that in mind when you're watching how much of an output these guys put. Like if if you're somebody, I'm half Hungarian, so we are meant to be in saunas. We're obsessed with them. Um, I don't particularly want to get in a fight in a sauna. Like that just does not seem like an environment that would be particularly fun to exert yourself for like an hour in a ring. That's what these guys are, are fighting in. And um Another estimate is that Ali lost five pounds just just from exerting himself in this fight, uh, according to Ferdy Pacheco, who I've also heard is one of the biggest assholes in the history of boxing in terms of how he treated people um, like reporters and such. But and and I've also heard he might not be the most uh, believable figure when it comes to stuff like this too. That he's a little bit of a bullshitter. 
but I'm sure you're right. That, and some of the greatest storytellers are, you know, so what, what are you going to do? This but, is true. But yes, I do think that 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 definitely played a part because from what I've read, a lot of it had to do with the actual venue itself. The something with the corrugated roof uh, uh, helped, you know, basically turn it into a fucking oven. So it was just an absolute sweltering nightmare in this venue, uh, and you know, just humid as shit. And you have all of these other elements. They've already fought twice. They're one and one. You have the first fight, which was just, oh, you know, it was a war, but it turned into a war in favor of Frazier, where he just was beat the crap out of Ali at a couple points. And then you have the second fight where Ali is more or less dominant, uh, you know, and definitely showcasing his skill and his speed and basically his ability to to figure stuff out in the second fight. And again, you know, not nearly as much has happened between the second and third fight as between the first and second, but some stuff still nonetheless has happened. And we're obviously clearly at a point in both men's careers where a lot has happened overall. And, we, and we, we're not, they're not at the beginning of their careers. Everybody knows that going in. And the question becomes like, where are they? How much do they have? What is this? Like, what, what is this turning into? I think everybody knew it was something special already, but they didn't know. <laughs> you know, they, they weren't ready for what was going to happen. No. And, and, and everybody was writing off Joe Frazier at this point. He has two losses that are brutal to, to Foreman and well, to Foreman and Ali, but I mean, he's still, he, 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 by all accounts from Ali's camp, they gave him this fight because they were sort of like, yeah, like he's shot. So what's, this will be yeah, easy. That's one for the road, you know? Yeah. And Ali, I mean, both of these guys are coming into this fight with two losses. Ali has had really tough fights against Ken Norton, but you could see with him too, where, where is Ali at, at this point? Um, so it's it's I like that there's still the symmetry. The first time we see them, they're both undefeated. When we see them the last time, they they also have the same amount of losses. So they've confronted adversity a little bit, and you're sort of wondering, as you say, how much do they have left? Often with a great fighter, that is the last narrative we hear about them before they leave the, the sport, is the great drama is how much do they have left going into this? And and that's this fight for both of them, but but everybody assumed it would mainly be pertaining to Joe Frazier and off it goes into this tremendously unexpected thing. And Ali begins it controlling the distance really well. Frazier is connecting with the body with more ferocity than we've ever seen. That is going to be his plan. Uh, Ali is still able to look fluid like he did in the second fight. His punches are coming out with a fluidity that wasn't there in the first fight. And uh, Ali stuns Joe with a combination. He seems to have more power than usual. He's or, really stepping into his jab, too. Like, really. He is. And the question is, it, it, it's not an either or. Does he have more power because he's stepping into his shots or committing more? Is Joe's chin not what it was because of what's happened with Foreman? Or is it a combination of both? I, 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 don't, I don't know the yeah, answer. I don't know. You can see... So a lot has changed on both sides of the ledger. And again, the calculus for both guys going into the fight, given that fact, is going to change how they're going to approach this fight. Yeah. 
Yeah, Ali was really uh, stepping into some of his shots, and especially his jab. Early on, it was almost like he was trying to send a message, like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you in this fight or something like that. Um, and and that's what it looked like early on. You know, he did a really good job. Frazier, even though he was, uh, even though he was, looked far better here, even just in the first round. Frazier looked far better in the first round of the third fight than he did pretty much entirely in the entirety of the second fight. I don't know if he needed a rest. I don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it worked. Uh, that being said, he did seem to me to get stunned at the end of the first round. And when he walks to his corner at the end of the first round, his legs look a little shaky. I was like, oh, maybe he got hurt a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it's not quite the start that Frazier wants to this uh, third fight. And I thought Ali took that first round. But that, like I said, Frazier is already far more aggressive and he's not kind of like waiting for Ali like he was in the second fight. He's moving on in in the second round. Uh, you know, and he, again, going back to the body, a big key from the first fight that he didn't do nearly as much in the second fight opens up going to the body in the second round. And it's like, all right, here we go. It starts to kind of take off a little bit. Um, and Ali battles back. It's a great fight. <laughs> it truly is a great fight. And it even starts to open up early because there's just back and forth. It's like, you know, Ali, one, two, one, two, one, two, yeah. boom, he gets hit with a hook. And then, you know, comes back and starts fucking battling back. And that really becomes uh, what a lot of these rounds and fights are about. I mean, you could literally go through round by round and go, it's this guy, and this guy, and then this guy, and this guy, because that's what it was. Uh, and that's round two is kind of where that starts to open up. Yeah, and it's, and it's another fight, too, like we are saying earlier, about how these fights and the chemistry between these two guys is bending our relationship to time. I know if a movie is a challenging movie, uh, how aware I am of being uncomfortable in the chair. In this, you just notice how quickly it's going. Where you're like, how was that three minutes? Who's the timekeeper here? Like It's going so fast as you're moving through it. Second round, Ali starts his clinching with the hand behind the head thing, finally receives a warning from a referee and does it again two seconds later and never gets a warning again. I, yeah, that's the funny thing is he goes right back to it and goes, yeah, whatever. But Ali clips Joe flush with a right hand and a hook right after that, that the, the warning. And you can just see this is a different Ali. I mean, maybe, I mean, another thing is that He's heavier. I mean, he's he's 225 pounds going or 224 pounds in this in this fight. But maybe that weight, kind of like Tyson Fury, who was never really noted as a puncher. Suddenly, when he gets up to 270, you're like, wow, he's fucking dropping guys now in a way that we're not yeah. really used to. 270 pounds of force, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but maybe, yeah, yeah, I'm with you, though. I'm with you. Yeah, And maybe just Ali having better mechanics than anybody utilizing that weight there's suddenly the physics have just kicked in and he's cracked what's necessary to do, to do damage, to have some concussive power with his shots. But you can just see like, it's just a different equation in terms of how Joe is responding to these shots. Plus Ali is throwing in combination uh, with them, with bigger shots. So he's wanting to throw in flurries sort of thing. And Joe is there to be hit because Joe wants to land big stuff to the body like joe is not going for singles and doubles or triples it's a home run every time to the body or to the head ali's trying to hit like doubles now instead of singles the way we're sort of we're sort of used to 
Um, but Joe is just boring in to get these body shots. But Ali is doing more than enough to to win the first two rounds. Agreed, and it, yeah. And then in the third, finally, Fraser's able to turn it around on my scorecard. Ali is punching with far more weight behind his punches. He's trying to take Joe out, I think. And Joe is looking progressively less able to take the damage that Ali is inflicting upon him. Um, his hooks are still pretty devastating, but he's just able, not able to land them as much because he's off balance from what Ali is, is doing. Um, there's the rope mid round and then Frazier just ripping to the body with oh, Ali just drills him, drills him. And, and then finally in the third round, there is a great flurry between the two of them where it escalates into this toe to toe slug fest. Um, it's a really close round, but I gave it slightly to Joe and maybe it's just because I know where Ali is headed at the end of this fight. He is going to be pissing blood for a long time. Uh, Ferdy Pacheco, his doctor, is going to tell him this should be it. You, you really, I, I don't really think it's healthy for you to go on at this point after what I've seen here today. And I'm just thinking that we're going to end up there. So I'm just thinking, like, how are these organs responding to what Joe is doing? Because Joe... Joe, you're going to find out, was willing to lay his life on the line for this fight and almost pushed himself to the point of death. Ali won the thing and said it's the closest to death that ever happened to him. Collapsed after he... Yeah, his, the second it's over, yeah. Um, but Frazier was asked as an older man, I think it's 63 in the Thrill of Manila documentary, if you could go back to have the 15th round and know that your life is on the line to do it, would you, would you do that? And he was like, of course I would. Of course I would. That's where Joe is in this fight is it's not uh, it's not hypothetical. It's it's not figuratively. He literally was playing with his life in this fight because it became more important to him to win this fight than whether he lived or died. And I think the same is true with Ali. So those two willpowers are colliding here, which is why I think the rounds are just going so fucking fast as we're watching it, even 50 years later. So it's just it's just such an incredible fight how how did you how did you get us to uh the fourth round same first two for ali uh third for fraser and i thought a lot of it was obviously fraser the body work was it's hard you could hear it you could see it uh it's not theoretical you can definitely it's doing damage um and then on top of that fraser moved it more into the kind of fight he wanted in the third fight or in the third round no question he started taking it more into the brawl that he clearly wanted. Although Ali, even going into the fourth, looked a little bit more um, compliant to, to that kind of fight than you might have thought, especially given the second fight. Um, and so Ali, you know, he lands some really good hooks going into the fourth or starting out the fourth. Um, but it starts to turn into a little bit more of a back and forth again. And what we're kind of measuring is uh, Ali has figured out how to catch Frazier coming in. But once Frazier gets in there, Ollie's a little bit more helpless and Frazier can really go to work. And so that's kind of what we're measuring. You know, Ollie's work at the outside in the mid range as Frazier comes in versus what Frazier is able to do once he gets in there, which is considerable a lot of the time. And that's what we're kind of pitting against one another. And when Ollie seems to have a little bit more time toward the center of the ring, a little bit less time on the ropes, he seems to do better. 
Although there are some times when he's punching off the ropes pretty decently too, uh, including some nice one twos off the rope here. Um, but again, I thought that Ali kind of took the round back. Uh, Ali landed some good shots overall. Frazier's body work really very good, but it's a close, close round. Yeah, and getting to the fourth, I mean, it, it's funny because you go back looking at this knowing how great a fight it is, and it still surprises you with how it's better than sort of the way it's been built up, which is a gift to to find those things. Fourth round opens up like Hagler hurts, except it's heavyweights. The way they come together, you're just kind of like, what this is outlandish. What are the, what are they doing? You actually think the the fight result could change from what the historical record is with moments in this fight, which is so rare to have that feeling. Like it, it, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, I, like I think it was that was new part again. Of the, yeah, like it was new again because it reminds me when I've gone back to watch Fury Wilder, I have that feeling too. Is I think it's an overrated fight in many respects in terms of its overall importance because I don't think Deontay Wilder has a resume commiserate with where he was sort of placed. And so just Fury beating him three times in a row, uh, what does it mean? But why it's so exciting and spectacular and I think beloved is because it generates, they they have such chemistry together that it, it, it surpasses like your objective assessment of what it is. And, and these two guys are the same in, in that respect. So it opens up like Hagler Hearns, Joe lands a brutal body shot and then and then a hook. Ali is countering even more aggressively, but Frazier is able to corner him and then gets turned, which is unusual in this. Like that doesn't happen much between these two guys. Ali turns him and backing up just controls the distance so effectively against Frazier um, that he even pins him against against the ropes, which just it just doesn't happen in, in this trilogy. So uh, Frazier in response, maybe um, the body shots start getting pretty low, pretty regularly throughout the rest of this fight. Like a, a lot of the shots he's landing, maybe half of his body shots are landing on the belt line, but a bunch of them are going below that too. And I think he gets one warning for it, but it, it is, it, it, it is an interesting wrinkle that that sort of happens here that hasn't happened before and and uh i don't know i mean ali is willing to take him ali is just really willing to go go for broke against whatever is frazier's putting to him and then in the fifth um ali's shots are just stinging stinging frazier frazier is insisting to just bore in He's even throwing his right hand where you can see Ali apparently like said to him, like, you're not supposed to have a right hand. Like, like, and Joe connects with a huge flush hook while Ali is pinned to the corner. It's the best shot of the fight. And Frazier is starting to turn this around and I've got it three, two for, for Ali. But you're wondering where, where is Ali in terms of like that adversity is there. This guy's not a pushover. And he may be shot for everybody else, but he's not shot tonight. Yeah. It all of a sudden turns from like, oh, you thought you had an easy fight tonight to, oh, shit, this again? <laughs> it, it, it really, in in a in about that moment, that's when it changes. Because in the last, like, maybe 30 seconds or so of round five, I have the same score as you. In the last 30 seconds or so of round five, maybe minute, Ali gets hurt, maybe 
rocked, however you want to describe it, then goes to the rope and starts kind of playing possum, you know, moving his head and stuff like that. But it doesn't work because Frazier follows him and then just catches him, times him, catches him. And it's kind of like, all right, you know, you're doing your little routine, but you're doing your routine, then <laughs> oh shit, you know, so it doesn't work as well if you're still getting hit. And he was still getting hit. And so I thought Frazier took that round. And then on top of that, also kind of changed the momentum of the fight, whereas Ali was moving real well. And, uh, you know, there were some exchanges and it was close, but Ali was, was, he seemed to be kind of on top of things. And in round five, that seemed to change a little bit. Frazier took that round. Um, and then again, Round six, Frazier kind of uh, kind of picked up where he left off and a few moments into the round seemed to stun Ali with a hook and that set the tenor for that round. And so, you know, Ali, a few times, he almost goes not quite panicky. That ain't the right word for it. But you can tell there's a difference between when he's fucking around because he's okay and when he's trying to convince the crowd that he's okay, even though he got wailed real good. And that's kind of what it looked like to me in round six. Yeah, I'm, I I have round six. My notes are that this was the most dominant round that Joe had ever fought against Ali up to that point. Yeah. That's a huge hook early. Ali clearly has begun to tire. And another hook against the ropes, and Ali's in trouble. Um, a deadly body attack by by Frazier. Big exchange mid-round. Which it knocks his mouthpiece out. Yeah, and it escalates into a slugfest. Joe's getting the better of it. And then Frazier dominates the end of the round. And he's evened up the fight. It's now at 3-3. And I remember, you know, it's funny. I I had a, when I had hair, I would get, I started getting my head shaved when I was 14. My barber was from the Philippines. And he told me that this was the first fight he ever went to was this when he was like wow. a young guy. <laughs> and I remember, cause he was the first person to ever tell me about Manny Pacquiao. Cause I mean, 14, we're like 1993. So it's like, you watch Manny Pacquiao. It's this, this guy. I'm not saying he said it right at that time, but I remember because of the way he talked about this fight, the moment I heard the name Manny Pacquiao on TV, I was just kind of like, I need to pay attention to it. Like this guy knows somebody and he's talking about Pacquiao kind of as if it's an offshoot of how amazing this event was Carlito was his name magical guy but but yeah the the sixth round you're thinking I don't know what Ali's going to do if this is Frazier and Frazier can can control a fight this effectively um by the seventh Ali is getting bulldozed he's far less effective keeping Frazier off um there's some good uh, rallies from Joe mid-round to try to, to seize control again from Ali. But Ali is just picking his shots better while Joe is just plotting. And the best that Joe can do is, is try to get in a few of these vicious body shots. But he's taking a lot of fire to, to land them. But to me, Ali turned it around and was able to win that round. So he's up again. Yep, 100%. Yeah, I'll uh, just when it looked like Frazier was taking over the fight and starting to do some, you know, serious punishment, Ali brings it back and, you know, puts the fight more in his territory where he starts getting Frazier on the end of his punches. That's something that Ali did a really great job in this third fight of uh, was just keeping Frazier right at the end of his punches and understanding that's where I need to hit him right now, you know, not 
after that, after he's already in my face or not when he's out there and I can't quite do damage. So Ollie really understood that and did a great job of turning that around in round seven when he really needed to, I agree. And then in round eight, um, you know, Ollie actually started looking a little bit tired here. I thought he started kind of clinching out uh, earlier in the round as Frazier pushed forward. Um, and I thought there was also a really, really, really good exchange on the ropes. I noted that this started getting really fun in round eight. Uh, Ollie caught Frazier. Frazier caught him back, etc. I mean, what wound up really happening, though, was, again, Ollie's starting to fight Frazier's fight in this round and Frazier pulling it back toward him. So we have this great swinging of momentum from round seven to round eight again, where Ollie takes the seventh. And then I thought Frazier took the eighth because he was pushing hard. Man, great fight. Yeah, I have I have the eighth round. It was a brutal, brutal round to watch for both guys. Big exchanges. Both men are landing big shots. Both are delivering a lot of punishment. It's 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 becoming really clear that these guys are hurting. Let's not forget the heat that they're fighting in. How much of a factor that is that they're just dehydrated, just being drained. Um, if you've ever trained at boxing, like when I trained in Havana, I trained midday in an outdoor gym, the Trejo gym. Yeah, and and every day I would go there six days a week, training with Hector Venan, a two-time Olympic champion. I had heat stroke twice training there, like in in two two of the seasons that I went there training, and like I don't know, it was like ninety degrees kind of thing. But that's ninety degrees, and I've never had heat stroke in my life. But I mean, just doing an hour session of just training with a guy, hand pads in the bag and that sort of thing, I can't imagine if you upped thirty degrees. And the lights on top of that, if you've ever spoken in front of those lights that are on you, they're hot as fucking hell. And so these guys are just killing each other in a sauna. And and again, I don't know what it'd be like to, to be sustaining damage in that kind of heat also seems <laughs> extraordinarily terrible, terrible. Because um, I keep thinking about, I mean, I think Part of what's so interesting about watching these battles is you have to go to when you're watching two guys just get beaten up and injured and damaged is you think, when have I been that damaged? And there's always something that's missing from how you've been damaged that they're dealing with. <laughs> I've done I've, I've done three marathons. I know that I couldn't walk for days after because it was horrible, the pain you're in. But nobody's beating on you while you're doing it. You're just, you know, slogging your right. way. I've been injured or I've been this or I've been that, but not yeah. injured while somebody's fucking me up. Like, you know? yeah, the, the, that stuff is a byproduct of what you're doing. It's not the direct intention of what you're confronting as it is in boxing, let alone Joe Frazier's in front of you or Ali is opening up in front of you. Uh, and you know, it's not going away <laughs> unless you can get rid of it. And you can't get, neither of these guys can get rid of the other. So they're just they're just in there for the long haul. So in in the eighth, this brutal round, I thought Frazier did enough to take it. And what do these guys say when they go back to their corners? Ali tells his corner, this is the closest I've ever come to dying at this point in the fight. And when he steps into the center of the ring with Frazier at some point, he says to him, they told me you were washed up. And Frazier immediately responds, they lied. <laughs> Great moment. I mean, like yeah. these are the 
it, and I mean, it's, it's, it's been similarly, I, I, we forgot to, or at least I forgot to mention it during the first fight, right before the, the knockdown happens, supposedly, I don't know how much I believe this. I personally feel it's kind of bullshit and it probably didn't happen, but the narrative is that right before Frazier knocks him down in the first fight, the 15th round, uh, you know, you, you can see Ollie saying things you can see him, you know, he's punching and he's going that, that, that as he's punching. And supposedly he said, motherfucker, don't you know I'm God or something like that? And Frazier responds, God's getting his ass whooped tonight Bap! and hits him with the hook. Again, I feel like that's a little too convenient movie script status. You know what I'm saying? Did it happen? I don't know. Maybe. But regardless, point being back to this third fight, you know, Ollie's talking to him. He's kind of, you know, saying all sorts of shit, pulling his face into the clinch and and I noticed that he does that type of stuff, especially when he's in trouble, when he's hurt, when stuff's happened, he's, it's almost like, I need that little extra boost. I need that fucking advantage. Let me get in his ear, you know, yeah. and he's great at that. He is. He, I mean, again, and I, I see it with Tyson Fury too, that when Tyson Fury gets these moments, we think who the hell wants to stand in front of Deontay Wilder? Where just at any moment that thing can hit you and you're you're just out and everybody's just watching what you look like being rendered helpless. And when Fury's facing it, it's playful. Like that's a it's a very rare breed of person where that element of danger being on that high wire uh, is something that you enjoy, that gives you pleasure and doing it publicly like that, that you risk the nightmare of humiliation that most toreros bullfighter yeah yeah yeah, absolutely you know absolutely true um but i i've been a fair share of bullfights in my life and i've seen several of the best fighters in the world and in my opinion the best ever he's not playful about it it's solemn um it's different when you see guys that are playful with playing russian roulette with a smile on your face it's just a different kind of energy and Ali had it. I think Tyson Fury has it too. It's just a, it's, it's mesmerizing to watch. I mean, I don't think these people generally live long with that kind of attitude. Um, but, um, but some of them are our world's greatest entertainers. So yeah. So ninth round, Ali begins to look exhausted. Either the body shots, the heat, whatever. He's older, he's heavier, but he's beginning to look exhausted. He's starting to look a little bit weary. Um, but his guts just keep him throwing. And there's this feeling at this point in the fight that it's like both of these guys have become like soggy cereal. They just look tired and unhappy. Like you're just seeing this weight that they're carrying. Like, do we really have to be here? Yes, we have to be here. Joe is still just banking body shot after body. If we're going to stay here, you are going to piss blood is the look on his face. I don't care how many fucking shots you hit me with. I am making sure that you piss blood. I, I mean, at the end of, end of his life, Frazier would brag how sorry and terrible you feel with what Ali has become is because of me. I did that. I gave him that. He never let go of feeling kind of vindicated that, yeah, okay, I may have lost two of the three fights, but my satisfaction is that that fucking guy can't talk and he's, you know, Parkinson has taken over his life. Terrible to, to say. And I, I don't know that's. But, you know, look at it in context, of course. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's good, 
but <laughs> there's more to it than than just like I fucked him up. Pat me on the back, you know. There's yeah. we've talked about it. It's deep. It's deep. So ninth round, I gave it to Frazier. I thought it was about even in terms of the damage they did to each other, but I thought his aggression meant that he deserved to to have the round. Five four Frazier. Tenth round, Ali is so tired, but he is just countering with so many clean shots. Um, far more than Joe is able to land. Joe is scoring a lot to the body. He's definitely going below the belt line. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I had it even. So I'm Joe's still on top, 5-4-1, to one, but this fight is so close. Yep. And, and then just getting into the 11th, all I'll say about that is, before turning it over to you, Ali gets this second wind from fucking where did he get it? You know, I, I thought Ali took the 10th, but I also noted that it was a really good round. And when a round's really good, you know, when Joe Frazier's in there, nah, you know, that's usually yeah. his kind of fight. So if you give Joe Frazier, uh, you know, the 10th round, I'm not going to be mad about it. It was a very good round. 11th round, I noted Ali's flurrying and throwing combination, catching Frazier as he's coming in. Ali absorbs a bit on the ropes, but steps off, catches Frazier a bit more. You know, uh, and I thought that Ali really was clearly uh, opening up and he also um, was starting to swell Frazier's eye up. You start to see when they go in close, Frazier's left eye is really starting to swell up. But also, as we know, you know, years and again, the, the hindsight and everything. But if you look closely, you could see it's not just the swelling right here where it's starting to become a hematoma, but his eye is like a slit. Like his eyes a slit and it's right even here's not swollen, but just around like from a medical standpoint, that's kind of alarming. You know, these days, I don't think the fight would have gone much farther than where it was. Even if even if Frazier was getting in there and landing great body shots and doing just fine overall, they were both tired, exhausted. But I mean, like, you know, from just kind of an don't stop that fight. But you look at Frazier's eye and it's like, whew. It's starting to look a little bit rough. Um, and you could see that Ali is obviously finding a second win, like you said, in, in round 11. I thought uh, it was a very fun round, but that Ali took the round because he'd opened up and kind of uh, put himself on the line a little bit more. And then going into the 12th, 12th round, I thought that uh, Ali had a real nice combination to begin the round. He's kind of bouncing Fraser's head around. Fraser is starting to get to a point where he's not really avoiding much that's incoming at this point. Earlier, he was moving his head real well, you know, it's getting down low. A lot of that movement stopped. A lot of that movement has really slowed down and he's eating a lot more powerful shots from Ali in round 12. Well, and the other thing we haven't even brought it up is that before all of this trilogy, Foreman is virtually blind. He's legally blind in one eye. So put that put that into the, the the respective pipe and smoke it in terms of what he was able to accomplish. But the eye that we're talking about, this orbital bone and the swelling above the eye and stuff like that, that's the good eye that Joe has going into where like he's unable to avoid stuff. It's not just that he's unable to avoid it. He can't see it. He is operating blind while, while he's in there with Ali. So so, yeah, I mean, that second win in the 11th where Ali just turns it on, he is throwing so many clean, vicious shots in combination, catching Joe and adding more swelling to what's blocking Joe's one good eye to see what's coming at him. 
I thought it was Ali's, maybe his most effective offensive round in the whole trilogy was that 11th against Joe. And what a gutsy moment for him to pull it out. Like when you just sort of thought the tide was turning in Joe's favor. 12th round, Ali is catching Joe so often um, that Frazier, Frazier is unable to even get to his body anymore. And it's become this sort of phone booth fight where Ali is on the ropes for a minute and then just steals the round, I thought, by landing this flurry at the end of the round. I mean, I thought he was winning, but like clearly won it with that flurry at the end. But Frazier is in really, really bad shape going into the 13th. And he is operating as a blind fighter. Eddie Futch in his corner has told him to stand taller uh, because he's just not getting out of the way of punches. I just don't think he grasped what the situation was and a proper remedy from it, which is shocking because Eddie Futch is one of the most respected trainers of all time in, in the sport, but I think he misdiagnosed what to do for Joe. I think that was the worst thing he could do and probably uh, almost certainly assisted Ali to clipping him a lot more effectively than he already was. And Joe just takes such a fucking beating in the 13th round. It's hard to watch. His mouth guard goes sailing apparently into the fifth row um, outside of the ring. And he keeps coming. And yeah. it's unrelenting. And this is where, I mean, Pacheco had a good line. Like, if you want to see the worst of what boxing can be and the best of it, you're looking at the same thing in this fight is you're watching somebody who is more willing to die than accept defeat. And I don't know how to, how to defend it. Yeah, you know, there's I, something both beautiful and disgusting about that. Yeah. Yeah. And despite that Joe is willing to do that, he's still losing the round so handily. And Ali has taken this commanding lead now seven five one even according to my scorecard i think the judges scored it way more heavily for ali than than you or i are but uh now we're going to get to this pivotal 14th round the last one they'll ever fight against each other um but at this point it was just it was just really hard to watch it because you 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 fall in love with both guys and i don't know who i'm rooting for any longer i i love both of them for completely different reasons and I just found myself, maybe it's just when you get older, even though I know you have kids, I don't, but I was just thinking about like their kids watching their parents fighting like this. And these are multimillionaires and just being like, well, I guess this is who they are, but fuck, this you know, is who my fuck dad are you doing in there? Yeah. What this fuck is are who you doing in there? My dad is Jesus Christ. So walk me through how you got to the 14th round and, you know? and let's put it to bed. I... I'm with you all the way here, dude. I thought that uh, actually Frazier closed round 13 with a really nice hook. The problem was he got as abs he got absolutely ass kicked the entire, you know, the entire time. And then 14th round two, Frazier's spitting up blood between rounds. His left eye is pretty much swelled shut, becoming a hematoma on his forehead, you know, where it's like not just here, but it's like starting to bleed out onto the rest of the skull type of shit, you know, awful shit. The type of thing where fights, you know, they're almost assuredly going to get stopped these days when that starts happening. Um, you know, Ollie's clinching. He's exhausted. 
clearly, but he is finding a reserve that Fraser simply does not have at this point. And he just starts absolutely teeing off on Frazier. And it's not even so much like it's like, you know, some sort of athletic endeavor in the sense that like it's sloppy. It's it's like it's not even but it's like this is round fucking 14, round 41 between them and find and, and Ollie is somehow finding it within him. It's goosebumps, bro. It gave me goosebumps watching it just going like, oh, my God, you know, what am I watching? What am I watching? So Frazier just takes an absolute fucking beating, bro. Ali is just, you know, going off on him like like he hates the guy uh, when he can because he's exhausted too. And and Frazier's got almost nothing. He's got almost nothing, dude. It it's it's it truly is harrowing. Even though you know what's going to happen, it's harrowing to watch. Yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get to. I don't know that it's contentious, but. It... The drama behind the scenes and the sort of <laughs> what might have been element uh, of the respective corners comes into play with this 14th round and how it concludes. Because the 14th round, the 14th round, Frazier gets pummeled so horribly mid-round. Uh, he clearly can't see anything. He's getting staggered repeatedly. And Ali is really coming on. Ali is just unloading on him. And yet, Ali is so exhausted that when he comes back to the corner, apparently, and I mean, I'm curious what you think about how truthful this is. I mean, there are different accounts of people close to them that, that corroborate this, but Eddie Futch is desperately trying to get Frazier to just stop, that he's going to stop the fight. This can't go on. You're going to fucking die. I've seen people die in the corner. This must stop. I want your kids to have a father this this must stop. Ali gets to his corner and says, "Cut, cut the gloves." He will, he's desperate to quit, and his corner is desperately trying to get him to stay in the fight. And uh, a number of people from both from both corners have substantiated this these accounts. And Futch is saying it's all over after the fourteenth round. No one will forget what you did here today and is signaling to the referee but somebody who was watching the fight was on behind from Frazier's side was behind Ali's corner hearing Ali saying cut the gloves and them saying no 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 you can go out you can go out and he's wildly trying to signal Frazier's corner to say like he's quitting he's quitting but that wasn't conveyed, so the corner wasn't able to take that into account with with whatever they were doing with Frazier to allow the fight to go on. Um, but Angelo Dundee was rejecting Ali's petition to quit, and I believe Hauser Ali told his biographer Thomas Hauser, Frazier quit just before I did. I didn't think I could fight anymore, so he has admitted that he he wanted to quit. And so, and yet the way it plays out is Eddie Futch protects his fighter and Frazier, you can see him raging that he's given this much only to have it sort of taken away from him. I applaud the moral courage of Eddie Futch, but you can also see where Frazier would be like, what the fuck did I kill myself for, for you to just take it away at the same time? Um, so again, there's just so much about what it, what it could have been. I, I've never felt this about any fight in my life, but I wish it was a draw. 
I just wish, I kind of wish like both corners, like, you know what? Just fuck this shit. Let's let call it. Even. Shake hands. Yeah. yeah just shake hands. <laughs> something like that because um, nobody should be asked to give as much as these guys did for this one. You know, and let alone these two guys. But uh, it, it is, uh, as you say, it, it's just so hard to see how much they had to leave behind after this. And yet Frazier is going to walk away pretty quickly after this fight. Ali, you're going to get a whole lot more. You're going to get, you know, years more of the deterioration. And um, so it's, so Ali is really interesting because as much as he is an emblem as an aspiration for all athletes to be like, Oh my God, to become that. He is maybe more a cautionary tale at the same time. It, well, again, the complexities come into play here, dude, because, you know, on one hand, Joe Frazier got out. He got out earlier. You know, he he was cut loose. He, he got his freedom from this fucking ball and chain that is having a boxing career. Yet, you know, he, he sure he got to keep talking. He got to keep expressing himself in a way that Ali couldn't really. He even could, even until his, you know, a couple of years before his death was hitting the heavy bag, like, you know, not great, but like he was physically, he was more or less still with it. I know that he had a lot of issues with alcoholism and whatnot, but, um, you know, he had demons, dude. He never let go of a lot of that anger. You know, there's... Some people say you know, he forgave Ali at this time or that time. I don't know what was in his heart. I'm not going to pretend to fucking know. I don't know anything like that. But what I do know is that he lived with a lot of anger. He lived with a lot of feeling like he got fucked. In a lot of ways, he did, dude. In a lot of ways, he did. Um, you know, defeating Muhammad Ali in his finest fucking hour, you know, when it counted the most. Uh, and not really getting credit for it because Ali's the greatest. Everybody loves Ali. He's the goat. And so, you know, to be kind of just cast into his shadow like that, it's complex. You know, he, he got out, but he never really got out. Whereas Ali, you know, he's stuck in it. He paid more of a price than some fighters will ever see and lived with it but he will live forever. Yeah, and I think I think what this allows you to see a little bit too is our kind of popular narrative that virtue is what drives us towards achievement. But clearly with both these guys, what you're looking at is addiction. You know, like uh, I've, I've often thought like, are you going to learn more about yourself or, or women by dating a thousand women or by being married to just one woman? And spending your life with her, well, which which is the more courageous choice? Well, it completely depends on you. You could be petrified of what you're going to learn about yourself from being with many partners, or you could be the other way around. You know, petrified of just one person and what you're gonna what's going to be revealed from that. So it totally depends on you, which is the courageous choice. There's no objective truth about either. They both could be, they, or neither could be. And similarly, with something like boxing, what you're going to see with a lot of the people that get up there is that, as you say, they're tortured, they're haunted, they're damaged, 
And they're way more frightened of what life is like outside the ring than being in it. For most of us, being in there is the hell, is the nightmare, is the great terror of what could be exposed. For these guys, they've never felt safer than they do inside there. It's outside where they, they don't know how to deal with so many other things because their supreme ability at this one thing has allowed them to live a life of one thing and not take on the responsibilities that the rest of us are forced to, to have to take on as we grow up. Ali never had to grow up. Ali never worked a day in his life of anything other than being Muhammad Ali, right? Well, and that puts a little extra perspective too on not just Ali, but you know, fighters in general, like when they have to sure. leave the ring and leave that life behind, what the, can you imagine in their head? Like, what do I do? the fuck do I do with my life? Yeah. And, you know? and, it, and this is where I think it dovetails with any other form of addiction is I forget who said it, but like, if you've done heroin, there's a quote that's like, how do you, thankfully do I have not. No, not, nor have I, <laughs> but, but, there, but there was a quote by somebody who said, how do you deal with the fact that the best day, you, the best way you could ever feel in your life is back there. There's no way to ever get this again sort of thing and i think it, it's it's it seems reflected um with with how a lot of these athletes deal with the rest of their lives whenever i see mike tyson after where he was at the center of the culture now he just looks bored more than anything he looks bored out of his mind like yeah okay i'm i'm mike tyson it's, Let's talk. it's like a soldier going back into civilian life you know like yeah, and and what do I drink? Just fucking drink coffee and read the paper now? What the fuck? Well, and yeah, what are the what are the stakes when it's when it's like life or death all the time that I'm building toward every every fight is a crisis that these guys are going into of conscience of what's going to be exposed of being prepared to kill somebody of possibly being killed, damaged, you know, never being the same person intellectually. On oh, no, 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 no. All of that preparation transforms you from what is like a well-balanced individual who we're supposed to be in regular society. So they're living at the extremes as a normal all the time. And they have to do it completely sober. They can't eat their way out of it. They can't drug their way out of it. They can fuck their way out of it, which is why all of these guys are raging womanizers for the most part. I say that because all the trainers have told me that. They're extremely suspicious of any men that are faithful to their wives that are really good <laughs> fighters. <laughs> um, but it's... And unfortunately, Ali was no exception there either. No, no. I mean, great great moral stand against Vietnam because of what, what you know, his, his relationship to God... It, did not seem to be that big a consequence when it came to serially cheating on his wife. So yeah, unfortunate, but um, he was a little bit of um, a la carte, shall we say, in terms of, 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 now that apparently changed as he got older. I think, I think he was a lot more consistent as he got older, but, but yeah, at the beginning, he was a raging hypocrite about that kind of thing. But this fight, I, I I like that that way that Pacheco put it, uh, even though I detest him, that if you're trying to tell somebody about what's the best thing possible about what boxing can offer and what's the worst thing, show them this the thrill in Manila. You're gonna you're gonna see it and it it is hard to watch, and yet you can't look away. And there are not a lot of those things permitted in society anymore. I mean, it's one of the the reasons why. 
I don't defend bullfighting or why it ruins sports for me, like to, to watch it. And it's not because I like it. I love animals. But um, where you go internally, watching a person face death at every moment uh, makes sudden death overtime at the Super Bowl kind of ridiculous. You know, makes overtime in an NBA championship. I don't I don't care. My, like Michael Jordan's coming back next year to play or, or LeBron James is coming back next year in these games. You, you, you miss once you're dead, like you're, or, or you're never the same. And that's, that's why the other, the other athletes, when they come to big boxing matches, it's not that they look silly, but you just understand the difference in the stakes that, that everything there is figurative and in boxing, it's, it's not a lot of it. A lot of it is literal that you're confronting and the kind of pressure that you're then dealing with is just, it's just different. Like, like Orson Welles said, like anybody can take a good idea for a movie, walking it down the street. I prefer to take it onto a high wire. That's, that's where I want to go to make it interesting is to have that element of risk to what I'm doing. And boxing just automatically takes you there. It just, it, it appeals to the most vain athletes that exist. And for that reason, the risk is the ultimate humiliation in a way that no other sport can humiliate you, like losing at boxing can. And so, uh, so yeah, this one, this one just seems to encapsulate and distill that to its essence in such a horrible way and such a transcendent way at the same time with these great characters that have such incredible chemistry as well. I mean, other than Bobby Chez, just being Bobby Chez, this is my favorite entry point to boxing. Yeah, it's uh, it's famous, it's big, and it lives up to what it says it lives up to. Um, and it's important to history too. You know, like it's it's not just played up, but then doesn't deliver. That's one of the coolest things about it. You know, there's obviously a lot of awful undercurrent, but in terms of delivering what it says that it's going to deliver, what the what the hardcores tell you it will. It's a it's a great trilogy. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to go back on. Way more fun than I thought it was going to be. That's for sure. Yeah, it's it, it is it is everything that the fight of the century for our current century was not. It is yeah. exactly the only way you measure why Mayweather Pacquiao was a success has nothing to do with its rewatchable potential with what was offered with with what content was there with what value it had it was entirely the price of admission and like it, it reminds me of that fran Lebowitz quote about when you go to an auction of a picasso they do not clap when the picasso comes out to be seen they clap when the price of what it sells for is sold <laughs> that was mayweather pacquiao this is the you, opposite you want to be seen being there because when we say to you that this many people were watching or it made this much money or whatever, you don't give a fuck because if you'd watched it, you'd know that's what we would be talking about is the actual content of it. Any more than like what cultural impact did Avatar have in the culture? When's the last time you've heard anybody talk about anything to do with it that wasn't about money? Never. I've never heard it brought up, even though it's the most successful film of all time. And 
what is what does that tell us a little bit in terms of now everything in movies is box office everything in sports is box office or or what the salaries are and they're less involving of us with this and and this was gigantically successful financially too this whole trilogy but um the money is so incidental it's so uninteresting it's almost vulgar to bring it up or how many people were watching because what we got from it was such a gift it's amazing and it, the fact that it, it's it's like actually lived on this long and remained effective and you know more or less the same also amazing fucking awesome and we've done this for three hours this is our longest <laughs> one Jesus yeah right for sure well dude i appreciate it because i know it was it did take some work it took you got to set aside some time to watch them, you know, and you're not just kind of passively watching them, you know, you're taking notes and what's going on here, watching them with a critical eye. So I appreciate that because I know it, it takes some time for sure. Super fun. Super fun. Well, thank you, man. And thank you, everybody who tuned in. We thank you, honestly, because I know that, that was, it might have been a slog for you to listen. So or watch. Appreciate it. If you did listen, whatever podcast apps you listen through, go ahead and subscribe. We appreciate that. We also appreciate comments, ratings and stuff that bump us up in the podcast ratings. If you watched on YouTube, however, thank you again. Subscribe on YouTube. Leave a comment. We'll try to respond back and say hello. As far as social media goes, however, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast is on both Instagram and Facebook. So go ahead and subscribe there or follow us there. Also on Facebook or uh, Twitter, I'm sorry. I mean, Twitter's a day-to-day -day thing, dude. We don't know if it's going to be up tomorrow. We have absolutely no idea who's going to own it. But for now, Knuckles and Gloves podcast is there. But we're also there individually. My boy, Bryn Jonathan Butler is there. It's Brynicio, B-R-I-N-I-C-I-O. I'm Patrick and Connor there. So go ahead and follow me. We'll say hello. Bryn, we'll talk soon, bro. That's it, Bobby. You heard it here first. All right, man. Later, bro. We'll talk soon. All right. See you later, man. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.